0: Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Um, As you can see, I'm not Anne. Anne is in Barcelona, Um, so don't contact her. She's in Barcelona. Um, Welcome to some of our visitors that we have today. We have Anna, who is a friend of Yang Yang's, and we have Margaret, who has been part of the walking club. Um, So welcome, both of you. Um, we also today have Nicola, Bobby Lee, and Michael here with us today. Um, Nicola will be um, joining us on a sort of more official basis next week. Um, she's here um, from the Scottish Baptist College. She's on placement with us until Easter. And she'll be working with Katrina and the worship group, and she explores the topic of public worship. And if you want to know a little bit more about the, um, Nicola and the family, there's an article in the February Key. Um, everyone is very warmly invited to stay and have a cup of tea or coffee immediately after this service, and I believe there is some of Lilius's 100th birthday cake mm. still going. Um, copies of the February edition of The Key are available today. If you didn't get one from the stewards on the way in, then please make sure you get one before you leave. Our evening service today will be at the earlier time than usual of 6.30. This will be a special service to mark homelessness Sunday and will be held in the Lodging House Mission on 35 East Campbell Street, or just off the Gallagate. Um, obviously our service might be a bit chaotic this morning because we found out that katrina wasn't well so neil has very kindly agreed to lead a sermon this morning Um, but if you could keep katrina in your thoughts and prayers um, this morning Uh, next sunday at 11 a.m morning worship will be a joint service with wellington church but it will be held in the hilton grosvenor in the botanic suite and that's the suite that is just off the foyer when you come in. Um, Then in the evening service at 7pm, there will be a special service for the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, which will be led by Monsignor Paul Conroy in Kelvinside Hill Head Church. These are all our notices.
1: In the words of the prophet, they that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so let us continue in worship, the wonderful love. Come, let us sing of a wonderful love. God, as we come before God in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for that wonderful love, that when we were lost and when we continue to lose the way, that you still seek us and give us the strength to continue. We confess, as we have done in the prayer and the hymn. Our times of envy and falsehood and pride. Lord, you know us completely, for nothing is hidden from you. And now in a moment of silence, let us bring before God these deep, very private things that weigh heavily on our own minds, known only to God. Possibly worries about this next week. Possibly anxiety or guilt about things that have happened this past week or even years ago. And we thank you for the joy of Christian fellowship, for the acceptance and love of each other as we join together
2: As the deliver us from the Lord. For the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.
3: phone on, but I'll try and speak out as loud as I can. Um, I don't know what it's like being called from the wings, but sometimes you have to do it, so there we are. <laughs> anyway, uh, why did you bother coming to church this morning? Any good reason? You, you just fed up at home? And <laughs> out,
2: out? No?
4: Any ideas? Yes, Rachel? The community?
3: The community, yes indeed. Uh-huh.
4: Any other reasons?
3: Come to worship God, God, yes, that's certainly one of our primary purposes, without any doubt. Uh, Well, there's a lot of reasons, aren't there? Some of us, I think, maybe that have been coming to church for a long, long number of years might be coming a little bit out of habit. And you're not all habits are bad habits, are they?
2: So there you are. Anyway, as
3: somebody somebody said there, uh, the community, and I think community is very important to us, isn't it? Uh, What do we mean by that, though? It's the community of the people that are here. Because we're Hillhead Baptist Church, but there ain't any church actually here, is there? There's not a building. Well, we know there's one down the road looking a bit for long, and we're ever hopeful to see it, you know, regenerated and whatever. But, but we're still here, aren't we? As I always say to somebody, if you come in here just before 11, it has got to be just before 11, not too long before, and you'll actually hardly find a seat. So there we are. So we're a community, and one of the reasons that binds us together is a love for each other, and of course, a love for for God. Now, when you arrive at the church this morning, at at here in the Grovena, uh, what actually happened as you came in the door? Did you see anybody? Did, did anybody say anything to you? We were greeted. You were greeted, that's warby. right. That's warmly we greeted. greeted, that's right, exactly. Uh, now, this is an issue, of course, that I've been thinking about for quite a wee while. How do we actually <coughs> greet people? And it seems to me that over the years, uh, the customs have changed with regard to greeting. I mean, mostly, you would greet somebody by just shaking hands with them. but And we still do shake hands with people. But is that the only way that we greet people when we see them, nowadays particularly? What else might, might we do? how We give them a hug, don't we?
2: Kissy.
3: Right? Yes, we may give them a kiss, yes, Smile. exactly. That's right. Uh, well, there's all sorts of ways, but basically you show, you can smile at them as well. You know, if somebody's been, you know, face down, you think, well, what's wrong with them, and so on. And, uh, so it's, that's an important point, it's one way of showing our love, and that, sh- that happens in every context, but particularly here in, in church when they come. Now, curiously enough, uh, not too long ago, I was writing one of my little poems. As you know, I've got a penchant for writing little poems. Not all of them of a high order, but never mind. But this one was on this very question, about how we greet people and about basically this business is about kissing and what I call social kissing. So if I can get my machine to work properly, I shall just read this one to you. Because some of you may have seen it already. Now, just hang on. If this thing's going to conks out, it might be a problem. Yeah. It's called social kissing, right? Not necessarily in church, but, but anyway. It may just be that there's something I'm missing, but I'm perplexed by the rules about social kissing. This without doubt is a real pressing question and I would be pleased to hear your suggestions. For most of my life we controlled our emotion, kissing reserved to show real deep devotion, for parents to children or husbands to wife, but rarely to others in everyday life. But now that's all changed and we kiss everyone and I'm inclined to think it's much overdone not just our family or fairly close mates or young lovers embracing on their very first dates. See no more about that. <laughs> we don't even wait for the first date. No. Oh, no, today it would seem it is quite de rigueur. The habits almost become like a force majeure. No matter how casual may be the connection, we feel obligated to show our affection. But what is expected? A peck on the cheek. Perhaps for many that may seem too weak. Go the whole hog, I say with a shrug, and grasp my victim in a mighty bear
2: hug. <laughs>
3: then there's the problem of which side comes first. Get it wrong and your sore head will need to be nursed. As your nose swipes across your acquaintance's face, you are try to disguise the emerging grimace. <laughs> the kiss straight on the lips might indeed satisfy no doubt a technique that most bounders might try. But for those less red blooded, let's keep it cool. Anyway, inappropriate kissing might prove you a fool. And now, greeting each other in the new year, but this happens particularly just after the new year, the procedure has assuredly filled me with fear. Back in the day, we simply shook hands. Today, full-hearted embrace is what custom demands. So where does this leave us? Is there no protocol? For modern behaviour, no guidance at all, perhaps we should return to the well-tried handshake and give all this kissing and hugging a break. Well, we might give up the kissing and hugging, but don't give up the love for each other, because that's why we're here. Thank you. (laughs)
4: So the reading today is from 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 28 to 51. Elab, David's eldest brother, heard David talking to the men. He was angry with David and said, What are you doing here? Who's taking care of those sheep of yours out there in the wilderness? You cheeky brat, you. You just come to watch the fighting. Now what have I done? David asked. Can't I even ask a question? He turned to another man and asked him the same question, and every time he asked, he got the same answer. Some men heard what David had said, and they told Saul, who sent for him. David said to Saul, Your Majesty, no one should be afraid of this Philistine. I will go and fight him. No, answered Saul, how could you fight him? You're just a boy, and he's been a soldier all his life. Your Majesty, David said, I take care of my father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear carries off a lamb, I go after it, attack it, and rescue the lamb. And if the lion or bear turns on me, I grab it by the throat and beat it to death. I have killed lions and bears, and I will do the same to this heathen Philistine who has defied the army of the living God. The Lord has saved me from lions and bears. He will save me from this Philistine. All right, Saul answered, go. And the Lord be with you. He gave his own armour to David for him to wear, a bronze helmet which he put on David's head and a coat of armour. David strapped Saul's sword over the armour and tried to walk, but he couldn't because he wasn't used to wearing them. I can't fight with all this, he said to Saul. I'm not used to it. So he took it all off. He took his shepherd's stick and then picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his bag. With his sling ready he went off he went out to meet Goliath the Philistine started walking towards David with his shield bearing sorry with his shield bearer walking in front of him he kept coming closer and when he got a good look at David he was filled with scorn for him because he was just a nice good-looking boy he said to David what's that stick for do you think I'm a dog and he called down curses from his God on David. Come on, he challenged David, and I will give your body to the birds and animals to eat. David answered, you're coming against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the Israelite armies, which you have defied. This very day, the Lord will put you in my power. I will defeat you and cut off your head and I will give the bodies of the Philistine soldiers to the birds and animals to eat. Then the whole world will know that Israel has a God and everyone here will see that the Lord does not need swords or spears to save his people. He is victorious in battle and he will put all of you in our power. Goliath started walking towards David again and David ran quickly towards the Philistine battle line to fight him. He put his hand into his bag and took out a stone which he slung at Goliath. It hit him on the forehead and broke his skull, and Goliath fell face downwards on the ground. And so, without a sword, David defeated and killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. He ran to him, stood stood over him, took Goliath's sword out of his sheath and cut off his head and killed him. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they ran away. Amen.
1: Well, it's a wonderful story, and it's probably one of the best-known Old Testament stories in the entire experience and memory of most of us. Uh, It's a strange story about a shepherd, and I think in Scotland we don't really understand what shepherds were like in a bygone age in a totally different country. Probably we think in the summertime of shepherds with their sheepdog trials, or if you go to Aberfoyle, it's actually ducks and geese that they round up, which is quite remarkable. And uh, we've all seen that. I remember way back, um, well, about 60 years ago, in Barra, seeing the sheep from the town coming down the main street, right onto the deck of the Calmac. Well, it wasn't Calmac, it was McBrains, in those days, ferry, and going all unpacked, as it were, all the way over to Oban. Quite a different scene from the story that Edith read to us, a story that contains so much truth There's something about the way the Bible is written that it just has to be true. Now, I know it's a bit personal saying this, but when David was told off by his elder brother, and I love that version that was used this morning, you cheeky little prat, you, if you (laughs) notice that. Um, I don't want to diverge into a sermon on two brothers. That's a bit too personal. But um, coming to the beginning of the story, then, David is down at the riverside collecting some stones that he will use as a shepherd. Now of course instead of having sheep dogs they had a catapult, sling if you like, and the idea was to fling the stone on the far side of the sheep which would give the sheep a fright and then it would move in the direction that you wanted to move it in. So David was an expert at doing that. Then of course his Uh, He's the messenger boy. He's supposed to be taking uh, bread and cheese out to the troops on the front line at the battle. Uh, But he overhears the older men uh, talking about, what are we going to do? We've got a threat from Goliath. How are we going to tackle this giant? And the balance of opinion really is um, appeasement, meaning just let's give in to him and try and negotiate some terms without getting into an impossible situation with Goliath. And then David thinks about it and he thinks, you know, um, maybe I could uh, use my sling. It's worth a try. Now, he knows he's putting his own life in tremendous danger by doing this. Um, And eventually he speaks to some of the men and they say, once again, just insult him being too much of a boy. But the king gets to hear about this and says, well, what is your plan? And he explains the plan with a catapult. And the king says, well, I appreciate you being willing to fight the giant, but really, you're too young to realize how silly your idea is. You should t- at least take my armor, my shield, my sword, and be like a real soldier, using the proper equipment for the job, because us older men, and it would, of course, be men in those days, know the correct way of doing things. And you're only a boy. mere runt run to the family. What would you know with that stupid little sling? Come on, put the armor on, put the helmet, the shield, the sword, and go. And he puts this thing on, and he looks extremely stupid, as little boys very often do when they wear clothes that are several sizes too big for them. And he obviously it's not going to work. So eventually they give in, and they say, well, do it your own way. So the first point really is that David did it his way. He didn't use the traditional way of doing things. And too often, particularly with younger people, not so much in this church, but sometimes we ignore the insight of people of a different generation or a different culture who've got a different way of doing things. We've always done it this way. Ah, but you see, we do it this way. But you see, well, you don't see. David is an example to all of us for doing it in his own way, which may seem strange, but it worked for him Possibly would not work for others. Now, the second point, and I'm very grateful to Ken's message this morning because uh, it's to do with emotion. Sometimes we need to fling a stone at logic and reason and be open to an emotional way of doing things. It's what the Bible would call vision. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. It's not simply a matter of logic. Too often in society, we look at matters of education, health, housing, we look at a logical pattern of dealing with people, but as a former moderator of 50 years ago said, these uh, some forms of flats in Glasgow are like human filing cabinets. Yes, it ticks the box of the correct number of houses, but it totally removes the human emotional need that life is a little bit more than logic and reason. Too much emphasis on reason and logical thinking. We are a bit afraid of emotion. And then you think we're maybe not being scientific. Well, surely one of the best known scientists in the past century would be Einstein. And he said there is no logical pathway towards a scientific discovery. You have to have your theory of what might be the case, and then you get some evidence to back it up. There is no logical pathway towards a great scientific discovery. What there is, is following a possibility. Uh, Alexander Fleming was trying to find a cure for bacteria. Probably you know the story. But what you maybe don't know is that he was incredibly untidy and he was going on holiday and he didn't bother to wash up the petri dishes. So when he came back after his two weeks of holiday, there in the sink in the lab was a really grubby petri dish. But round about the dish was fungus called penicillium and there were no bacteria growing near the fungus. And so he discovered penicillin, which came from, if you like, moldy bread. Nothing logical about that at all. Purely chaotic, but it kind of worked. We need vision even when that starts with emotion and is not backed up by reason or logical argument. That may come later, so I'm not slagging the need to have rational thought, But even in our own age, with emails, and we've all been guilty of this if you use the computer, where you send a message, and the person totally misinterprets what you're trying to say. Um, It seems a bit stupid, this uh, joke, which I never tell jokes, as you probably know. I think life is so hysterically funny, there's no need to tell jokes. (laughs) But um, it was in the Herald a few years ago, and um, it was a cold winter, and we were afraid of elderly people Keep an eye on your neighbours. So the mother said to the son, Jimmy, away in next door and see how old Miss MacDonald is. So he goes in next door, and it takes quite a while coming back, and he comes back looking a bit upset. And the mother says to him, uh, Well, Jimmy, um, what did you say? She said, It's none of your business how old I am. <laughs> yes, it does take a little while to work it out. <laughs> None of your business how old I am. Uh, there is a danger there of a logical sentence in language, but it's totally misinterpreted. And this is why emails and too much mechanical thinking can destroy things. So, back to the story. It has a lot of relevance today, if we will look for it. We fling a stone, not at Goliath, but we have to fling a stone at the Goliaths of our day. And therefore, the message will be quite different today from what it would have been years ago. What are the Goliaths of today? The last time I was in St Andrews a few months ago with my son Paul, he goes and photographs boats and things and then comes back to Glasgow and paints them. All the kids I have, three kids are all artists. And... uh, well, I noticed something that was interesting that I'd never seen before. It was a motor scooter with uh, thirty—better uh, get the figure right. Uh, thirty-eight, yeah, that should be thirty-eight rearview mirrors attached to it. And Paul said, and I remember it's thirty-eight because he said that's one for every year of my life. And I looked at this thing and I thought about it and what struck me was how dangerous it was. Not if you crash into pedestrians so much, but more the fact that you could hardly see forward because all these mirrors were pointing backwards. And I wonder whether there is a Goliath in our own experience, individually and as a church and as society sometimes, of being so much looking behind us to the past that we fail to see forwards. Yes, it's a clear vision of the past, we need to learn from the past. Yesterday is history to some extent, we don't want to make the same mistakes again, that is why we have remembrance services, that's why we remember things that could have been better, but it can blind us to a vision of the future. So maybe it's time to fling a stone at what has gone, at the past, and look ahead. There are hidden Goliaths within us that only God knows about. Is there anxiety or guilt or resentment or difficulty from your own past and you keep seeing that mirror and it can blind you from the vision ahead of what could be? As the lovely hymn says um, Will you love the you you hide if I but call your name? Will you quell the fear inside and never be the same? No one is saying that difficulties are not real. But if you try and see the bigger picture, you will realize that negative things can easily destroy you. Now, this is something I have wrestled with, with myself and and with others. There is a danger in bringing your past uh, into view, possibly in some form of counseling or explaining to someone else, a good friend, what really is bothering you. On the one hand, that can be effective, but on the other hand, it can dig up too many things and it can rehearse a problem that you've kind of got over, a bit like seeing it's this time of the year, nursing her wrath for to keep it warm, as this truth, the honest Tam O'Shanter that I can't remember, but uh, Kate was nursing a wrath to keep it warm, and there's a danger of that happening if you look too much into your own past. So maybe it's time to fling a stone at it. Now, some of these anxieties that we have uh, are in our subconscious mind, and it can be difficult to know what's going on in your subconscious mind. I think Sigmund Freud was ridiculed too much because the great achievement of Sigmund Freud was recognizing the existence of the subconscious mind now the psalmist had come across that centuries before oh lord you know me completely from the depths of my mind before i was born in the womb when my bones were being knitted together you knew me and the inner thoughts that god knows of us and that is in many ways what's happening in worship we try to come to terms with our inner thoughts and get into the subconscious mind, which music can do better than anything else. Do you have a goliath of resentment or guilt or lost (coughs) opportunity in your mind that you need to fling a stone at and then move forward, even though it does leave a scar? What I have noticed time and time again when people are dealing with their own negative thoughts is that people who start thinking of others are very often healed of their own problems. I think of someone, he or she, let's keep it anonymous, suffered greatly from just anxiety about nothing in particular. And they stayed at home all day. And then they got a job working in a charity bookshop. And over the next few months, meeting people and supporting the bookshop, Suddenly their life was, or not suddenly, gradually their life was changed and they became a far more integrated person. Not so much by focusing on the problem, maybe by flinging a stone at it, and then trying to put something in its place, because there is a real danger if there is a vacuum that something bad will go into it. David was indeed a complex character, with plenty of little Goliaths from his own past. The other week in the Bible class, um, I was, uh, we were talking about David and Bathsheba. Now that's the same, uh, the same David, although a lot older in those days. don't want to digress too much, but just a quickie on that one. Uh, beautifully named Bathsheba. She was the lady in the bath on the roof of the house, Over by. It's wonderful the way there are bits of the Bible that the name just seems to, oh yes, I remember that story. And so he fancied this woman, but she was married. Now, David's troops were um, away, David was now King David by this time, of course, and his troops were away fighting. But he uh, went back home for a while and then he did a terrible thing by sending. Bathsheba's husband, who was called Uriah, into the front line of the battle so that he would be killed. And then, of course, King David, the same David, the shepherd boy that eventually became King David, um, he then married Bathsheba. And no doubt something like that would leave horrific problems in his mind for the rest of his life. What a good person he was as a little boy. What a bad thing he did. When he was good, he was so good. When he was bad, few people were as bad as David. And I'm quite sure he had lots of little Goliaths in his own past. Winston Churchill felt depression for a good deal of his life. And he said it followed him around like a dog. But when, uh, early on in the war, when he became prime minister, he felt a tremendous sense of peace because he had discovered purpose. And then, of course, he was a great one for these phrases, slightly exaggerated. Um, It was for this hour that I was born. The point I'm making is that instead of focusing on his dog that followed him round in the form of a terrible depression, he focused on a purpose which would involve him totally. And sometimes, and he was at that point at peace with himself. David was also a music therapist. He cared so much for King Saul, he became the music therapist to King Saul, and that helped King Saul's depression. Maybe he got involved in attacking um, Goliath, partly to give purpose to his own life. I know that's when he was a little boy again. When Nelson Mandela uh, walked through the gates to freedom, from Victor Verso Prison, he recalled that as I walked through the gate that would lead to my own freedom after all these years of being unjustly imprisoned, I knew that if I did not leave my bitterness and hatred behind, that I would still be in prison. These are powerful words. The past can destroy you. There are times when you've got to draw a line and just try to see where we go from here. It can happen at any age, it can happen in human relationships. There are times when you've got to live with a person, you've got to work with a person, you don't particularly approve of something that they've done, possibly to you or to someone else. But the alternative is to have resentment going on for decades. And so, what are the giants that we need to face today? Not so much personally, but let's look at it more in terms of society. Giants that cause people to fight, such as UK arms sales to Saudi Arabia, in the full knowledge that they will be used on civilians in Yemen. Giants, and I hesitate saying this because I feel very strongly about it. Giants in the form of FGM, so appalling that I can only use its initials. Giants being killed by little stones, fired by Christian aid, to allow maternity care to succeed in Sierra Leone. And what a wonderful thing that has been in the past two years, thanks to Christian Aid. And yet, like David long ago, small stones are killing today's giants. Let us not perish amidst despair and negativity. (coughs) The Word became flesh and lived in the real world. And the Christian church, like David, with all his faults, is the body of Christ alive in the world today. William Carey, known to us all as one of the founders of the Baptist Missionary Society, was very self-critical of lack of success in the first decade of his work. But he kept going. One of the giants that he helped to destroy was the practice of burning widows. Absolutely horrific. And people said, don't interfere with another country's way of doing things. But he fought that. He flung a stone with his little catapult. And the practice stopped soon after that. The strength to keep going, taking on impossible odds. An impossible giant to slay with so little power available. But what a great achievement spurred on by this most determined man, who had an emotional vision, of what had to be destroyed. So there was emotion involved in that, as well as action. Some years ago, at our philosophy cafe, in the month of June, we invited Leslie Riddock. I'd never heard of her, and would never seen her before, but she gave this little story, which I've told a few times before. She went on a skiing trip with her daughter, and they were taught how to ski. Well. Her turn to go down the mountain on her own and this child was right in front of her and she was going fast on the skis and she didn't know what to do and she stared at the child in fear until at the last minute all she could do was deliberately try to trip herself up and crash onto the snow. Her daughter came rushing up to her afterwards and said, Mum, did you not remember a single thing they told you at ski school? They said... Do not stare at what you're trying to avoid. Stare and look straight at what you're trying to achieve, at your goal, at your destination. And that's so true in life. If you stare at what you're trying to avoid, you might not get very far. But if you have that vision, that vision that Jesus called the kingdom of God, that vision, we can move forward and something great can happen. And so David runs towards Goliath. The giant throws back his head and laughs. David takes one stone and then silence as the stone is fired toward Goliath's head. And Goliath falls down with such a thud that the earth shakes the ground. How long is it since you took a sling and a stone and had a go at a Goliath? The first stone could well miss. That does happen in real life. He'd well miss the target, but what is required is the strength to continue. Oh, it's easy to start off with a great idea and then give up when the going gets rough. But one of the greatest things in life is to try to keep going against all the odd. David had no guarantee of success. He was a man of creative risk, and it wasn't even calculated risk. There was no way of working out the risk percentage. no guarantee of success, but for all his many faults. David was a man of faith who knew that God was with him. His faith was more a matter of trust rather than intellectual, ascribing to a set of beliefs. Our own Ellen Clough, known to some of us and certainly heard of by many others who've joined the church more recently, uh, was a missionary who went out from this church in 19, I think, 28 uh, from her own vast experience of near-death experiences as a missionary in China in the 1930s and 40s said to me once it's only when you are utterly dependent on God that you realise how utterly dependent God is and she had certainly been In these situations close to death we need this dependence on God we're not doing it all in our own way and thinking I can't manage this I can't manage that we need to develop this sense of dependence on God to tackle the Goliaths in the way that works best for us because that's us back to the first point what works for us not necessarily for others have a go at tackling today's Goliaths especially those that affect the lives of others even out of a sense of gratitude for not being personally exposed to those giants, and fight alongside others, accepting them in the way that for all our own faults, God accepts us. Amen.
3: Let us pray. O God our Father, we come together in prayer to make our intercessions for others and for ourselves. We come from the busyness of our everyday lives, from the pressures and joys of life within families and in community. We value the presence of others, but we also yearn for the peace of solitude. Grant us that peace now as we meet together while opening our individual hearts and together bringing our pleas before your throne of grace. In the past week we have observed the wider world through the media and press and sometimes we are almost overwhelmed by events. Some of these relate to individuals like those in our royal family, others concern the leadership of the nations like the World Economic Forum held in Davos where major challenges affecting our world have been highlighted and debated by politicians and industrial leaders. At the same time, we've been alerted to the threat of widespread disease in the form of the coronavirus. And the looming prospect of climate change casts a dark shadow over all the globe. And furthermore, in a few days' time, the United Kingdom will formally leave the European Union after 45 years. In many respects, we step out into the unknown and we face much uncertainty. How can we come to terms with all these overarching events and challenges? Perhaps all we can do is to play our own part in whatever opportunities we have to act or to influence and to trust in you, our Father. Dear God, in all these international affairs and events, we pray that we will be conscious of your abiding presence, your (coughs) never-failing love, in all the changes and chances that come to us. At the heart of the Gospel of John, we are above all assured of the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Let us grasp this mysterious promise and act on it in all the vicissitudes of life, national, local, personal. On this Sunday, we would also bring our prayers to you for organisations and persons for whom we are asked to pray. First of all, we offer prayer for the Scottish Baptist churches in Ayr and Bearsden and Bellsill. Each of these fellowships seeks to witness to their own distinct community, and we pray for their ministries, uh, the minister and leaders, and all the members of that community in their work and in their witness. On a wider canvas, We pray today for the BMS world mission work and particularly for their survivor's (coughs) appeal in South Sudan in Africa. And then in our own church family, we remember today Graham and Margaret Little. Their contribution to the life of Hillhead has been immense over so many years. We give thanks for their faithful dedication and for their example of Christian living. We especially pray for Margaret confined to special care and ask a blessing on her and on Graham, uh, as he unstintingly supports her. We also pray today for Neil and Faye Kennedy, We, are, we too are much, who too are much part of our work here. Neil, whose work as a manager was dedicated and much valued, and also for Neil and Faye's work in Sunday school and Bible class. Because of their continuous ongoing support over many years, we tend to forget their constancy. We assume like the air we breathe, it's always there. Help us to pause just for a moment to give thanks for Neil and Fay, Graham and Mars. We often say the church is not the building, it's the people. Well, these are the people. May they be truly blessed. Finally, we already said that to some the faith is a mystery, but deep within that mystery is divine truth. It is God's love for each one which we are commanded to show forth to one another. As we seek to do that in the everyday, let us be assured once more that you are the God who loves each one of us as if we were the only one to love.
1: let us pray Lord we joyfully bring these gifts of money part of our daily lives we know that the kingdom of God does not have a wealth that is measured in dollars euros, pounds rupees or the yen but we pray that these gifts of money will go where we directly cannot go ourselves for the extension of your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Who is able to keep us from falling and to bring us faultless and joyful before his glorious presence to the only God our saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty might and authority from all ages past and now and forever and ever.